the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. All right, good afternoon to you. Thank you, sir, and welcome. It is a Tuesday. It is the final day of the month of February. If you're not keeping track, we got a few less days when we roll into February. But it's a good time. And uh, we're going to expect to enjoy a good time today together on the radio in your commute, wherever you might be headed to. Uh, thank you so much for allowing us the privilege to spend some time here with you today. Uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation today because a, a a dear friend, not only personally, but a dear friend to the Bay Area, dear friend to Oakland, dear friend to the church, joins us tonight in studio to talk about some important issues. And uh, what a privilege and delight to have join us the founder and senior pastor of Axful Gospel Church of Oakland, Bishop Bob Jackson. Bishop Bob, I don't know how you do it. Every time I see you, you've you've like you've lost five more years. <laughs> married married life is treating you well, and uh, we pray blessing on both you and Sister Barbara. And we're delighted to have you Thank join you, us Craig. today in studio. It's the final day of uh, the month of February, as I point out, and and we've been uh, marking and celebrating Black History Month here in February, and so much going on all around the San Francisco Bay Area uh, that we wanted to kind of spend some time with you tonight, not only talking about what the enemy is up to and how we can respond to that, but more importantly, what God is up to. Um, Some folks listening might have seen here recently, um, you're back on television yet again. A wonderful piece that that's okay. You can you can you live without them. <laughs> we figure out what's going on. They might have. Un- I don't hear anything. They might have unplugged that. them. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, sorry. But a, a great piece that appeared on on Channel Five, a profile on you and uh, the work that you've been doing for my goodness, all these more than thirty years now, uh, pastoring and reaching the city of Oakland, a lifelong resident of Oakland, as you pointed out earlier. But uh, but along with that, working on the front line to not only in impact lives with the good news of the gospel, but also recognizing, I think, kind of the, the, the twofold responsibility that we have. You know, it's interesting to know when we look at the life of Christ, and every time he spoke, every time there was public ministry, there seemed to be a time or a season when he would engage in also addressing felt deeds, whether it was feeding the 5,000, bringing sight to the blind, you know, even raising people like Lazarus from the dead. There was was always that sensitivity that he had that yes first and foremost he came because he cares about our spiritual destiny he cares about our eternity he wants us to be reunited with his heavenly father to walk in fellowship cares about all of that but he also cares about our our individual well-being and of course that includes everything from our education to our health 
to even the quality and caliber of, of our housing. And, uh, you know, when you talk about those kinds of subjects from a Christian perspective, I think that we need to not only include from, from a uniquely Christian viewpoint, not just concern for another man's soul, but also concern for another man's situation and his station in life. It's certainly true. Uh, the Lord is interested in the whole man, body, soul, and spirit. And uh, although there's some preachers that kind of took the church in a different direction as far as having things and having stuff and having money and fame and fortune, that that was really the blessings of God. Let me tell you something. The blessings of God is when you have peace and when you have joy and when you have the Holy Spirit, where you can enjoy the fruit of the Spirit in your life. So the Lord came to bring us all of those things. And when he died on that cross, he not only died for all of our sins, but died for all of our sicknesses as well. And I want to praise God that he also equipped the church he left the church not weak-kneed ninnies and, and, and helpless Harrys. What he did was he left the church with power and authority over demons and devils, and we have the authority to cast the devils out. Craig, what the problem is today is we're fighting against spiritual wickedness in high places, the rulers of the darkness of this world, principalities and powers that are actually using people. These shootings that you see, these mass shootings that you've seen too much of, keeps coming up. Those are demonic spirits that are operating with those. Don't you touch that dial. I'm talking to you that's listening. Those are demonic spirits that are operating in people to steal kill and destroy. destroy. That's Satan's MO. But for some strange reason, nobody's talking about the demons and the devils. It's kind of like it, you know, these people are doing these things. It's terrible. It's, it's a shame. No, it's not people that's doing it. Those are demonic spirits that are occupying people and oppressing people to do these terrible things. And we, the church, is sitting back eating chicken talking about when we all get to heaven. We're supposed to be fighting these demons in Jesus' name. And then at the times when we are fighting, instead of wrestling against those principalities and powers in high places and, and recognizing that, that John 10.10, 10, the enemy's stated purpose, steal, kill, destroy. Yes, but I have come that you might have abundant life. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And yet, and yet, sadly, there are so many within the church today that find it easier to go to fight, go to battle, go to war with one another Ooh. than fighting the true enemy of our soul. And we see it all the time. I mean, you know, during the month of February, we've been highlighting not only contributions of black Americans to our history, our culture, our, our, our wealth, all that makes America incredible, but it also is a time, I think, for, for what ought to be serious national reflection on our mistakes, mm-hmm. our attitudes, yeah. our sinful nature, and the way we have treated each other. And more often than not, we see people want to gear up, and Christians do this sadly all the time, that we think the enemy is the guy seated across from me or the next door neighbor or the guy that I work with uh, on the job that I can't stand instead of recognizing the true enemy and the true nature of our enemy. And so no wonder he keeps us gleefully, ecstatically distracted. And meanwhile, it's open season. He can just pretty much do anything he wants because we're paying attention to everything except where we ought to be. You got your finger right on it, and that's the truth. So the Lord didn't leave the church powerless. He gave us power. When he gave us the Holy Spirit, 
And he said, hey, listen, he told those disciples, you stay in Jerusalem until you become endued with power from on high. Why? He trained them for three and a half years. You would think they would be ready to go. But he said, no, 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 you're not ready yet. You need the power of the Holy Spirit because that's who will give you the power and the authority to fight the devil. Isn't it funny that we're here, the church, he left the church in charge, really. He left the church in charge and then sent back the Holy Spirit to take command of the church and then gave us the power of the church to deal with the enemy. And yet nobody preaches against the enemy. Satan and his demons got a free course. They can do whatever they want, it appears. But the devil is a liar. The church is empowered by the Holy Spirit and authority to use the name of Jesus to cast out devils. And Craig, instead of casting out devils, like you said, you hit it on the head, we're fighting against one. The Baptist against the Methodist, the Methodist against the Lutheran, Lutheran against the 300 denominations in Christ Jesus, all of them claiming that he's the one that died on the cross for all of our sins and can't come together. When you imagine what would happen if the church, the body of Christ, I'm not talking about religious, I'm talking about the body of Christ, would come together on one accord to begin to fight Satan and his demons, Good God Almighty, we could turn this world upside down in a few minutes. Well, and then Jesus some. I mean, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me that as we see in Scripture the account of the miracles that wrought, were wrought by Christ, and then for him to tell us, I'm going to my Father to prepare a place for you, but I want you to stay here and wait. I'm going to send the Comforter, my Holy Spirit, that will empower you to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And that even as we see the evidence of Christ, and we mentioned this a moment ago, miracles everywhere. He always addressed felt needs. He would go and preach about sin yes. and sanctification yes. and what he came to do eventually on the cross that we might be reconciled unto the Father. Yes. But he was always careful to address the felt needs yes. as well. And, you know, the sad thing is that, as Christ said, I will not only empower you to be my witnesses, but... Greater works than these shall you do. And yet, we have the power, we have the authority, we have the scripture, we have the Holy Spirit, and we do nothing with any of it. And it's a miracle that you said that because I had just turned to St. John 14 and 12. And with your permission, I'd like to read Please. that. It says, Verily, verily, this is the Lord red-lettered in the Bible. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. So the Lord Jesus was on his way back to glory to be with the Father, but he left us armed and dangerous to do his will and that is not only to get people saved which is great that's wonderful but also to lay hands on the sick and they will recover and but this is the one i love and to cast out devils in the name of jesus now what power and authority do we need anymore do we need any more no we need to use what he gave us and be bold about it in jesus name Craig, I just don't see it happening. Well, and sadly, you know, again, I think, Bishop Bob, not only is that that sense of distraction that the enemy, I mean, what we, from the very beginning, what does he do? He casts doubt, 
distraction divides. We saw it take place in the Garden of Eden. Hath God said, there's the doubt. Distraction, oh no, look over here. Enjoy this apple. Enjoy the fr- the, 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 uh, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Won't be anything, anything wrong with that at all. God is trying to deprive you of the knowledge of good and evil. So he sets up doubt, distraction, and then he divides And the irony is the game plan in all of these millennia really hasn't changed. I mean, isn't it true that as we look at what's going on in the church or in the world today, and we say, gee, we're frustrated about what's happening. God, why don't you do something? And yet I'm inclined to think that the the Lord is sitting in heaven saying, well, wait a minute. Giving you my word, my spirit. Come on. My authority. Come on. And you're waiting on me. And you wait. Somebody's waiting on somebody here. But it's not God. No. We waiting on God. It's no. the other way around. It's and God some, waiting on us. And some religious people will tell you, oh, you all are being radical. Now, that's very radical. I mean, good, sweet Jesus. I mean, the Lord didn't do anything like that. He wasn't He wasn't a vile man. He wasn't a, 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 a fighter and all of that, like you're saying. I said, really? Have you ever read the book of St. John when the Lord went into the temple and saw them, the money changers and all doing the temple? Fashioned a whip made, and chased on. them out. He made him a bull whip and he began to beat all of them out, kick over the money changers, the tables and whatnot, and, get, and sweet Jesus, what did you do? And what are you doing? He said, you have made my house a den of thieves, thieves, thieves when it's supposed to be a house of prayer. And it, it, it just vexed his spirit so much that he made a whip and beat them all. Man, that's, I'm telling you, that's our Lord and Savior. And what's amazing about that, that scene that, that, that you just quoted is the fact that he went into his father's house. Yes. He went into the temple. Yes. This is a church problem. Come on. This is an inside problem. This, this is not where the enemy came in and stormed the gates and all of a sudden Pharaoh took over the church. No. This is an inside problem. We got a little housekeeping to do, don't we? We certainly do. And so the, the thing I'm looking at is we've got to go back to square one. And that is confessing our sins. And this is what the church, I believe, really really need to do. Confessing our sin because we have become too carnal. We want everything on E Street. We want the Lord to do everything for us. And we are too comfortable where we are. I'm talking about the church. And the world is going to hell in the handbasket. And it appears that the church doesn't really care about it. And yet... The Lord Jesus came, he says he came for one reason, that is to seek and to save that which was lost. Look how many millions of people are lost today, being lied to. Matter of fact, that's where I was going to St. John eight forty four. because I just want to read for our listeners here. He says he was had he had a little controversy going on some of the religious leaders watch this and and pick it up in verse 41 he says you do the deeds of your father then said they to him we be not born of fornication we have one father even god watch this jesus said unto them if god were your father you would love me for i proceeded forth and came from god neither came i of myself but he sent me why do you not understand my speech even because you cannot hear my word you are of your father, the Lord Jesus says, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. So all these murders that you see taking place, Satan is behind them. There's people that, well, they're crazy. They're out of their mind. They have mental problems. No, they don't. They have spiritual problems. 
it, they're not mental. That's why the mental health people are not being effective mentally trying to treat those people and, and this because is, they have demons. And this is so key. And I want to pause on the point. We're going to take a time out. And then when we come back, I want you to take us a little bit deeper because this is such a critical point that so often we wish to suggest that the problem is the government needs to do a better job, which is true. Or this group over here, somebody else. Need, we always look at why doesn't somebody deal with this. And yet the complete utter irony is that those that are best equipped seem to be least interested because if we talk about dealing with spiritual issues, mm. well, is that an issue you take to the governor? Of course not. No. That's an inside deal. That's that's something that the church itself must be responsible yes, for. Sir. Absolutely. So if we say, well, you know, they're running around like a bunch of crazy sinners. Of course they are. And why are we shocked when the unregenerate behave that way when our focus is not on reaching the lost right. and discipleship? Our right. focus is on criticizing others, right. trying to find fault in others, or expecting to shift the blame or responsibility to somebody else. Yes. And yet, at the end of the day, I hear the words of Jesus saying, yeah, you went around and you tried to cast out demons in my name and even tried to raise the dead in my name. Guess what? Get thee behind me, Satan. I knew you not. Man having a form of religiosity, but in fact, not the legitimate, not true religion, as Scripture would tell us. Denying but in fact, the power. Absolutely. Thereof. That's what he's saying. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely true. So uh, that eighth chapter, I just wanted to finish that, uh, that 44th verse. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father, you will do. Watch this. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Just think of all the lies being told in America right now. I mean, even in the pulpit. Just all kind of lies being told everywhere. The Republicans, the Democrats, you don't know who to believe anywhere. And then I'm telling you, it's just amazing to me to see what's going on and the confusion that has started. People are so confused. And then fear now has set in. People are walking around in fear. They're not afraid of COVID. You can look at the football. You look at the basketball games and see the crowds. Oh, they're full. The, yeah. I mean, see that football game with, with McCombs and, and and Kansas City and whatnot. That place was crowded with folks. And it was, and they didn't even have masks on. They're hot and screaming. I have concern about a COVID. The problem is the folks. I'm telling you, the country is in fear, and fear, if it's not dealt with properly, turns into violence. Mm-hmm turns into violence. And, and we're seeing that. We're, we're, we're seeing, we're seeing that happen right now. right now. Bishop Bob Jackson, Senior Pastor of Axel Gospel Church of God in Christ in Oakland. We are opening the word and having some conversation in relationship to not only what we see going on in the San Francisco Bay Area all around us, but most importantly, what we as the church can and should be doing to stem the tide and make a difference. We'll take a brief time. I'll come back to more of our conversation with Bishop Bob Jackson as Lifeline continues. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're back in studio tonight. Bishop Bob Jackson from Axeful Gospel Church of God tonight in studio. Information on the web, by the way, at axefullgospel.org. If you are new to the San Francisco Bay Area, maybe you say, you know, I want to get plugged into a church that is alive and vibrant, that believes in going into all the world, preaching the gospel, telling the truth from the pulpit, to, to, to preach his word unashamed. And you say, but I don't know, how, where do you find churches like that? Well, good place to start is Axeful Gospel Church in Oakland. And again, information available on the web at axefullgospel.org. We're visiting tonight in studio with Bishop Bob Jackson a bit about what's going on, not just in the Bay Area and in Oakland in specific, but what's going on in the the heart of man and more specifically within the church. And, uh, you know, the enemy, as we were talking, Bishop Bob, before the break, loves to steal, kill, and destroy. He loves to divide and conquer. He loves to bring deception in. There are folks out there that also love to be deceived. The Bible talks about those having itching ears that want to attract to themselves teachers that will not tell me the truth, not speak the word boldly, even though it might be painful and bring about a sense of conviction upon me, but rather make me feel good. Tickle my ears a little bit, preacher, would you? I want to go to church on Sunday, and I want to go out feeling even better than I did when I went in. I don't want any of that sin, salvation, sanctification, calling out sin. I, 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 no, I don't want any of that. And is it any wonder that the end result is then an emaciated church that has no boldness, is barely paid attention to by the secular world, and as you were mentioning off the air, even to the point where a lot of folks have used the excuse of COVID to get out of church because they're concerned about their health, I'm using my air quotes here, and now that things are returning back to some semblance of normalcy, have not quite gotten around to going back to church again, and you know, that I think speaks Volumes and and sadly not in a good way. It's it's almost an indictment, isn't it? It absolutely is. And you know when you look at what the Lord Jesus said about that, He said, "Where there's two or three gathered together in My name." He didn't say anything about it on the internet. He didn't say anything about it at home watching your TV, sitting up there with your pajamas on, put on your shirt and tie, and still got your pajama bottoms on, eating a ham sandwich and with bacon and eggs and while you're watching the TV. And if you don't like the sermon, you just click the channel over to another church, and immediately you're in another sermon. The point of it is, that's not coming together. You can't feel the power of God. You can't feel the Spirit of God. You're not in that the atmosphere of holiness. There can't and, be that iron sharpening iron either. It cannot be. It's impossible over that TV. People say, well, I felt the anointing come through the television. I said, well, I was watching the television. I didn't feel anything coming through the television, okay? The point of it is, you don't get the same thing that you get when you're there live in the service worshiping the Lord together with the fellow saints. You just don't have the same atmosphere. I mean, when you start lifting up the Lord and praising God in the sanctuary, I mean, the atmosphere changes in that room. You know what I'm saying? And I think people need to understand, and it's an important point that you're making, Bishop Jackson, because even here, we're on a Christian radio station, but, you know, when God takes a city unto himself, he doesn't do it for the Christian radio station or the Christian TV station. We can be a great paraclete. We can be an assistant to the church. We can be an amplifier. We can be an encourager. We can help to to amplify a platform. But at the end of the day, it cannot 
ever be a substitute for the gathering of the body of Christ. That is an institute that very God himself established. Of course he knew, yes, someday there'll be radio and TV and the internet and all that other stuff. Wonderful supplements, but never a substitute for the gathering together of the saints and what the local body of Christ can and should be. So when you look at Matthew's, and you know me again, I'm a stickler for the word. When you look at Matthew, the 16th chapter, Jesus asked a very important question. He said, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And some said Elijah, some said Jeremiah, some said one of the prophets. Even somebody said John the Baptist, risen from the dead. (laughs) He said, okay, that's fine. He said, but whom do you say that I am? pointed to the disciples and Peter was the only one he piped up and said thou art the Christ the son of the living God and he said something arresting to Peter he said Peter, he said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you that your name should no longer be Simon the Simple, but it shall be Peter the Rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, my church, Come on now, and the My, gates... Come, come on, come on. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Gates always represent power. So what was he saying? He was saying not to be on the defense, but the church is supposed to be on the offense. We're supposed to be going after Satan and going after his kingdom in the name of Jesus, knowing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We're supposed to be lifting him up and going forward, working with these principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places, rulers of the darkness of this world, we're supposed to be attacking them instead of them attacking us yeah, in the name of Jesus. Come on, sadly, man. we're we're cowering oh. underneath the mattress in Jesus, the corner in Jesus, our room Jesus. with the lights turned out. Come on, come on. Out of abject fear. And and I think let me ask you this, Bishop Bob. In that kind of of defensive, fearful recoiling sort of attitude, doesn't that speak tremendously to the notion that we don't know who we are in Christ? Ooh, that is a big one. You hit it on the head. We don't know. You know why? Because most of the preachers that are preaching are preaching Old Testament. Yeah, or, or they don't want to talk about this book. This this is a opening verse to kind of launch the topic Come on. and never return to the Word of God at all. Never, never. And see, it's so fashionable now to use the Internet, and you can get all kind of sermons. Oh, sure. I mean, they've got sermons. You, they got a book of sermons you can buy for the year, one for every Sunday, and you can preach a different sermon. All you got to do is know when to yell. Just, just when the comma, you just yell at the comma and, and keep right on reading whatever the manuscript says. No no power. And a lot of people go to church and that's why they don't go now because when they went to church there was no power. There was no anointing. There was no miracles being done. Nobody getting healed. Nobody getting delivered. No prayer lines. No casting out of devils. None of those kind of things. And they just have some church kumbaya. They sing the song, clap their hands and whatnot and then go home. The point of it is church is more than just an entertainment center. It's more than just a place where you go to sing kumbaya. It's a place where you can go to get refreshed. Fresh, re, renewed, re, re, recharged, re, igniting, re, just re, re. <laughs> I mean, my God! But you know, your your, your point is such Make an incredibly out of this valid one, and I, I want to linger on this for just a moment because even as you share that passage of scripture, and you hear some, you can imagine in that scene some murmuring of the disciples, and they're not quite sure what answer to give, and how do we 
And and after Peter gave that response and Christ came back and, 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 and accurately said, you didn't just come up with that off the top of your head. The Spirit of God has revealed that to you. But I wonder how many of us would likewise struggle in trying to give the same answer. Now, we've been baptized. We got married in the church, perhaps. We've been at church every Sunday. Every time the doors are open, we're there. We tell people we're a Christian. But yet, we don't know this Jesus that we serve. And then here's the other problem. If I don't know him, how can I be expected to tell about him? You know, if I said to you, Bishop Bob, tell me a bit about Sister Jackson. You could spend hours where she likes to vacation, what her favorite foods are, what restaurants she likes to Ruth go Chris. to. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, you know, what, what, what kind of perfume that she likes. Oh, What's yeah. her favorite color? Yeah. All of this. Yes. Why? Because you spend time with her. You're yes. in relationship with her. You're in a form of fellowship with her. You know who she is. And yeah. yet, how many Christians, I have to wonder, if really pressed, well, you say you're a Christian. What does that mean? Tell me who this Jesus is. They well, can't give an answer because they don't really know him, do okay, they? Okay, and you know what you said is so true because many people know of him, mm. but they don't know him. And I call that revelation knowledge. Many people have never had revelation knowledge. And you know how easy it is to get revelation knowledge of really who the Lord Jesus is? Ask him. I remember one time I was in Folsom Prison and I was on the way out. They didn't have a, they had a no hostage uh, rule there. In other words, if the prisoners get you with a shank or whatnot yeah. and they threaten to kill they're you. They're not coming in they, for you. They're not coming in for you and they're not going to open the gates to let them out. You were just a dead duck. That was all. Mm-hmm. So when you went in, you had to sign a paper to that effect, knowing that there's no hostage situation in there. And so we used to go in there with boldness. I would preach and the Holy Spirit would really move. And you know what? One day it was about six Muslims that were standing at the door when I got ready to leave. The, the, the church was full at Folsom. We are on our way out, and there were six of them standing across the door threatening, you know, and whatnot. And they were looking at, we don't like you coming in here preaching no Jesus in here. We don't like that, you know what I'm saying. And, and so I said, well, whether you like it or not, I said, I can't preach by what I know. And so the guy said, I said, and, and if, furthermore, you don't have a problem with me. I said, you have a problem with him. He said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, can you say Lord Jesus? Can you say Lord Jesus? And the guy, he looked at me and said, yeah, I can say that. I said, then you ask him yourself, is he real? You know what they did? They moved out of my way and I went on out of that prison. I want you to know, if you challenge people to say, look, you really want to know if he's real? Listen, the word of God says, if you believe on him, that's one thing. He said the devils believe. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of folks in the church that are not doing anything more than the devils are doing. They believe on him, but they've never received him. The Bible said, huh, what is that, St. John chapter 1? He says, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power, power. to become the sons of God. Amen. It wasn't just believing on him, and that's the problem with a lot of Christians. They know of him. They believe on him, but they've never received him. And Revelation 3.20 says, Lo, and that's the Lord Jesus speaking, Lo, I stand at the door and knock. What door is it? Your bathroom door, your bedroom door, your front door? It's the door to your heart. He said, If any man hear my voice and open the door, 
You're the only one that can open the door to your heart to allow the Lord Jesus Christ to come in. And I'm telling you, if you do that with all sincerity, he will come into your heart. He did it for me. And I'm telling you, the change in my life, Craig, and that was 46 years ago. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That's unbelievable. But he came into my life and he took me from being a wretch undone, changed my life into the man of God that I am today, and I give him all the praise and all the glory. He's a life changer. And I know there's many people listening to us right now who would love to have a brand new life, who would love to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And many of you have been looking for him all in the wrong places. But today, tonight, this evening, God has given you an opportunity to hear his word. And he said, all you that hear the word of God and desire to receive him, he's ready to come into your heart as your Lord and Savior. And that is such an important distinction because, you know, I I never forget years and years ago at a Baptist church, the evangelist came in on a Sunday night, preached a gospel message. And got up and said, now, who here would like to surrender their life to Christ? Who here would like to know this Jesus personally? And some of the hands went up in the pews. And the pastor of the church took note that a dear saint who had been a member of the church for 40 or 50 years, she taught Sunday school, she had been married in the church, she baptized all of her children in the church, and her hand went up. And after the service was over with, the pastor went up to this dear saint of God and sister so-and-so had been part of the, that body for so many decades and said, Sister, you must have misunderstood. Maybe you didn't have your hearing aid on because he asked if there was anybody here who wanted to know Jesus personally. Yeah. Well, you raised your hand. Yeah. Well, but you've been a member of this church for over 50 years. Yeah. You got married in this church. Yes. You baptized all your children in this church. Yes. Well, why did you raise your hand? Why did you raise your hand saying, I want to know this Jesus personally? And here's the indictment on the church. Her response was, well, because it's the first time anybody ever asked me that question. Wow, look at that. My, my, my. And there's the distinction I think you're speaking to, that there's a difference between knowing of him and knowing him. I could ask, if we, had, if we could take a survey of every listeners right now and say, do you know of Joe Biden or of the governor or of the, oh, of course, oh yes, I know the name of the governor. I know who the mayor is of my town. Right. But do you know them personally? Oh, no, 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 no. I, I don't run in those circles. If you can ask that same question of your relationship with Christ as to whether or not you know of him or know him personally, that's the dividing line. That's the kind of distinction that you're talking about. And I think, Bishop Bob, and we're going to get into this a little bit deeper in the next segment, I think that's also the distinction when it comes to why we tend to see a church that appears to be lackadaisical and lazy and emaciated and fearful and cowering in the corner and constantly on the defense instead of being on the offense. Because we know of him... We just don't know him. 
Bishop Bob Jackson with us tonight in studio. One of the issues that we're going to pivot to when we come after the break is the practical way in which a bold and fearless church can make a difference right here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And as we go to the break, I want you to just answer for yourself. Think for a moment in your mind all of the problems and issues that you see in front of you every day as you travel from home to work or home to school and back again, the stories that you hear on television, read in the newspapers, the things that concern you for which you look at and think to yourself, somebody needs to do something about this. Why doesn't somebody fix that problem? How come they don't take care of that? If you've often wondered who that somebody ought to be, we're going to help you some answers to that question coming up in just a moment. A brief time out back to more of our conversation with Bishop Bob Jackson as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. We've been visiting today in studio with Bishop Bob Jackson, the senior pastor and founder of Acts Full Gospel Church of God in Oakland. Information available again on the web at actsfullgospel.org. And beyond tackling a lot of the deep-seated spiritual issues that we as the church need to address for ourselves, remember the judgment begins where? In the house of the Lord. At the same token, the recognition that there are issues going on in greater society today that while we oftentimes will look to the government, the authorities, the police, the educators, insert body of government here, at the end of the day, those that are best equipped to have the greatest impact, particularly as we look at the spiritual foundation of many of these issues and problems, comes back full circle to the church. It's our responsibility and our job. Christ didn't say, come and share the good news of the gospel, and I'm going to find another group that'll love on them. No, that was given to us. In fact, to the distinction of saying, how will they know who we are? They will know us by our love, not only the love that we demonstrate toward one another, but the love that we demonstrate toward others. Remember the example that I shared either earlier, the, the, the notion that every time Christ was engaged in public ministry in his three, three and a half years here of full-time ministry before uh, he gave up his life on the cross, that it was always preceded by Christ addressing felt needs, be it feeding the hungry or bringing sight to the blind, causing the lame to walk again. He always demonstrated his care and concern for our overall well-being, for the whole man, as Bishop Bob Jackson mentioned just a moment ago. So toward that end, the, the, the question was posed, and I think a valid one related to the weather here of late, and that is what's been going on out on the streets? You've gotten up in the morning and found it's bitter cold. Imagine being out in that at one o'clock in the morning. Uh, boy, that's cold. It will just chill you to the bone. And addressing these issues, while yes, there's a place in a fashion in which the government needs to be doing something, but at the end of the day, those that are greatest charged with this responsibility, look in the mirror. It's you and me. It's the church. 
Joining us now in the conversation is Bram Begonia, CEO of the Bay Area Rescue Mission. And Bram, God bless you. Appreciate so much, brother, you taking the time to, to join us here for a moment tonight. And I wanted to start to kind of get an update for our listeners. We've been talking about the broader issues of church engagement and and most certainly as we look around the Bay Area, one of the bigger growing problems that we see very apparent is the issue of homelessness. And of course, the Bay Area Rescue Mission is right on the front lines. And, and I guess the first and most important question is just how devastating has this current weather cycle that we've been in with snow in the San Francisco Bay Area for the first time in 40 years? How is that impacting the homeless and unhoused of the Bay Area? Well, Craig, first, it's great to be with you. Uh, we're excited about serving our community. And we just did a presentation for our wonderful board last night to review 2022 numbers. Uh, uh, in 2022, we had a 340% increase. So we served almost 60,000 bed nights. That's uh, over 1,600 uh, individuals, unique individuals. And you can imagine how that's increased in just the few short months of 2023. So the weather is a big contributing factor of why people go, you know what, I've tried and I need to get into a place. It's it's too much for me. It's too cold. I thought I could do it on my own. And we have people flocking to us uh, and we're making the best of the accommodations that we have to make sure that we serve people. I, I know that oftentimes the government is very ill-equipped at being able to to provide accurate numbers. I mean, you know, we talk about the census every 10 years. How do you take a census from the homeless if they have no address that you can come to, right? Uh, And I would imagine equally so numbers in terms of understanding uh, the kind of suffering that people are going through as a result of the cold weather, hypothermia. I mean, I would imagine that over the last week there have probably been, albeit maybe unreported, but uh, even some cases of people that literally die on the streets of Oakland or San Francisco or Richmond because it's so cold. That's right. And, you know, all these things that all these what we call point in time counts that are official counts that the government does. And we're they get volunteers. We're some of their volunteers as well. And we're, of course, a reporting site. But that number is unreported because that's people who want to be counted. Right. If you're in your tent and you don't come out of your tent to be counted, you're not being counted. If you're uh, couch surfing, you're not counted, and that's considered homeless as well. And so that number that's reported is can be underreported by two to three times. Wow. So when you hear 34,000 people in the Bay Area, it, it could be drastically more. We definitely know that that's a lot more in Alameda and Contra Costa County and San Francisco County. So... Um, it's it's a crisis. There are people uh, before this happened. At least uh, at least one person per day uh, was dying on the streets merely for the fact that they were poor and unhoused. And I would say, as this cold weather has increased, that's definitely gone up. And we won't know the real number because that's the cause of deaths not attributed. But uh, we know because people are coming to us with their cold, shivering, and they're in dire straits when we take them in and being referred by the county teams and all those that refer uh, when they call the intake numbers, 211 and so forth. They call the Bay Area Rescue Mission and we take care of uh, who who we need to take care of. This, this should break the heart, uh, Bram, of, of everyone listening to know that these are not, you know, we, we often kind of assign the generic homeless, it's nameless, it's faceless, it's the bum on the streets, what, whatever sort of image that we might have um, conjured up in our mind. But at the end of the day, I think it's valuable for all of us to be reminded that um, these are not just 
just nameless and faceless individuals, that in fact they are brothers and sisters, they are sons Mm -hmm. and daughters, they are mothers and fathers, certainly from a biblical, from a scriptural perspective, we would say that these are all people whom are not only created in the very image of Christ, but for whom Christ died. And I think the real heartbreaking story here is not just that there's cold weather and that people are suffering because they are unhoused and they find themselves on the street, but also, too, the notion that a lot of times, and I and I think it's an easy place to kind of go to, where we say, well, somebody needs to do something about that. And, you know, we, we might see a homeless individual walking across the street or maybe with a little sign at the freeway off-ramp or maybe a, a tent uh, near where we we travel to work or home every day and we think, oh, that's a shame. Somebody needs to do something about that. And, and I wonder if the real failure, the lack of connection here is that the somebody that we often will generically refer to really is the guy in the mirror. But more often than not, we kind of skirt our responsibility because we think, well, somebody will take care of that. But I would suppose if if everybody thinks somebody will do the job, then ultimately nobody will be responsible. Is that an accurate depiction? Uh, That's an accurate depiction because, uh, you know, 65% of the men in our programs are addicted to some form of, uh, you know, to something, whether it's, uh, you know, drugs or alcohol. Let's just simplify it. And uh, there are signs to that. People can see it and they won't make a referral or say they've got it under control or they're a functioning addict or. And so all these symptoms. And then when something happens, you say, oh, I could have, I should have. <laughs> I noticed the signs. I, I could have sent something. I could have referred to them. But that's what leads to it. You don't just wake up and you're homeless today, right? There are contributing factors, domestic violence. So if you're seeing signs on a child or on a mother, Uh, You know, uh, they're ending up in our program and you could have intervened ahead of time. You could have done something. You could have been a hero to that child. You could have been a hero to that mom. And 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 we can help as as soon as we know. And so, you know, I, I would just encourage people when you know somebody's hurting, refer them to us. We can get to them as soon as possible and start getting them on the uh, the path of transformation, which is their mind, body, and spirit. And you can't do one without the other. And so you have just... We, I encourage people to do that. And you you have just hit the nail on the head, because at the end of the day, as we talk about violence on the city streets, as we've discussed, gun violence, we talk about homelessness, we think these are problems. And I suppose from a secular viewpoint, they are problems. But in reality, they are really symptoms of a deeper problem that goes right to the heart of, of the spiritual dynamic that's taking place. I mean, let's face it, as you allude to, Brent, if there is a woman, for example, that, that is now living on the streets because she's fleeing a situation of domestic violence because the husband has a crack cocaine habit or has you know, unresolved anger issues, well, that all goes back to the sin nature. And let's face it, if we in the, as the church don't get involved in providing hope and answers and, and standing with organizations like the Bay Area Rescue Mission and, 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 and being involved as an active participant in the body of Christ and doing everything that we can, that when we see someone who is thirsty, to give them that cup of cold water in Christ's name, someone who's hungry, to give them food in the name of Jesus. If we don't take an active role in making a difference, it goes back to what I said before. We think that somebody ought to do something, and in the end, nobody does anything. 
That's right. And yeah, Craig, I'm, I'm encouraged. I mean, I just, you know, I had a young man in our, in our program. He's one of seven children, right? The mom's in our program and he's one of seven children. He says to me, I'm having dinner with him. He says, uh, and the name of our employee is uh, Miss Comfort. He says, uh, I'd like to ask her, you know, a question. I said, well, let's ask her. She comes out of the kitchen and he says, why do you cook here when you could be cooking in a five-star restaurant? Mm. I was so shocked by the question, right? And she said, I just love serving you, you know? And this is this young man, and he's never felt like this before, right? He's never been treated like this before. And I think when we talk to all of our listeners, we say, "What well, you know, I have three kids of my own, Craig. What would I do to feed them if I didn't have the means? Well, what? I'm not condoning, right? I'm not condoning, you know, stealing. Or, but what would I do to feed my kids? You know, what, what would I do to put food in the mouths of my kids if I have nothing or if I'm on the streets? And these are the type of people we need to give hope to that Jesus is sending to us to serve in their most desperate times when it's cold, when all of a sudden it's raining and the tent gets ripped and they come shivering to us without any shoes, Craig, right? Yeah. And we, we have to be there, you know, no matter what kind of bad day our employees are having, we have to be there and be ready to serve. That, that's what we're called to do and that's why people give to us and that's why what we do works is because we're ready to serve 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And that boldness is so critically important for each and every one of us to, to, to not be fearful and and to not cower in the corner under the mattress, as I was talking about a little while ago, but rather be willing and ready to stand and to not only proclaim the truth of the gospel, but then to be actively involved in so many ways. And I know some folks listening right now saying, well, Craig Bram, Bishop Bob, I can't go into the street and invite somebody to come into my house. I got a house full of kids. How am I going to do that? No, but you can pray. But you can stand with organizations like the Bay Area Rescue Mission to make sure they have the resources so that they can invite that homeless person in out of the cold weather. Make a difference. So that organizations like Axeful Gospel Church can say, we acknowledge there is a significant low-income, affordable housing crisis here in the Bay Area. Let's stand up and do something to make a difference. And if all in the church, not that we have to do everything, but if everyone does something, we will literally change the course of direction of our communities, of the Bay Area, of the state, and I believe the nation. But we have to be willing to be bold. Bram Begonia, CEO of the Bay Area Rescue Mission. I want to encourage folks to stand with this ministry organization. You can find out more about how they do, what they do, how they do it, and how you can make a difference by going online to bayarearescue.org. That's bayarearescue.org. And I appreciate Bram Begonia for sneaking in with a, with an update there for us. And Bishop Jackson, I mean, that, that really, I think, comes full circle, the, the understanding that there are so many issues that are affecting society today where we as the church can observe and say, well, there seems to be a problem there. I wish somebody would go do something about it. And I think really it ought to be a reflection. If we look in the Word, it becomes like a mirror to the image that Christ wants us to see and what he wants us to be and what he wants us to do in his name. Not just to go to church, as you were talking about earlier, but to be the church. And that's an important distinction, isn't it? But knowing what you're supposed to be doing, just like he was saying. I mean, people look at those conditions and they say, well, we, they need to do something about it. This is a shame. These people out there, they're, they're there. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, 
these people could be we people. Mm. You see what I'm saying? And the shoe could very well but be for the grace of the God, there go I. There go I. So the point of it is, watch, watch Matthew 25 now. The Lord Jesus is speaking. He says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations... And he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the, from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and you gave me no meat. Wait a minute. No. That was the other guys. Watch this. He said, For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. He said, Then shall all the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, and gave and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we sick, and in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Insomuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. My God, look at that. If that don't keep you busy for the rest of your life, I don't know what to do. You see that? And another reason, when you look over in the book of Acts, you know I'm a stickler for the word. The Lord it, it, it gives us a message here by Paul that the disciples never gave. And he says, I've showed you all things, as Paul talking. He said, I've showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. And that word weak is the same as support the poor. You see that? And he says, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Craig, we think it's a blessing when we receive. Mm. The blessing is not when you receive. You know, I just got blessed. Oh, the nice check I got for my birthday the other day. How the Lord has blessed me. We don't know how to pass that blessing along, do we? We are blessed to be a blessing. And that's how we keep the blessing in motion. When God blesses you, yeah, use some of the money for what you, he gave it to you for. But always he's going to give you more than what you need. So take that residue, that, that leftover that you have. Instead of buying you a new pair of shoes, you already have 35 pairs already and one pair of feet. But you you got all these shoes. You got all these clothes. We've been dealing with the, the homeless people population lately. I'm getting ready to build a place for them right now. I've got two blocks worth of property in Oakland. I'm getting ready to build a place for them where they can come and shower and, and sleep and, and have food and, and then the resources that they need in order to become successful uh, people back again in society. A lot of those people are intelligent. A lot of them have gone to school, college and whatnot. They're not just bums and, and dope addicts and all of that kind of stuff. These people are really struggling. Some of them work, go to work every day living in a car. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and Bishop Bob, that's such an important distinction that you're making because, you know, I tell you down through the years, I've had the privilege of interviewing hundreds of people that have at one time or another called the streets of Oakland or San Francisco, wherever, home. Right, right. There is no one that I have interviewed, man, woman, boy, girl, black, white, doesn't matter, who ever said to me, well, you know, Craig, when I was a kid in school, I used to dream, someday I want to be homeless. No, no, no. You'd hear folks that <laughs> say, you know, I dreamt about being 
a nurse. Right. I dreamt about becoming a teacher. I dreamt about becoming, you know, a, a congressman or or whatever ideal it might be that you were striving for, that you wanted to achieve something in life, that you wanted to leave the world a better place than when you found it. Yes. But then life happened. Yes. And people find themselves going through a bad divorce that takes them to the bottle because they don't know Christ. They're looking for an answer and they're trying to find a solution or or, or somebody that that because there's so much anger and turmoil going within because of they've been on the receiving end of domestic violence or maybe an abusive parent or, or whatever the circumstances might be. And this this anger is just boiling down below the surface, waiting for the first opportunity to express itself. That person who who. Do they need anger management classes? Yeah, probably. But you know what they need first and foremost? They need an encounter with Jesus Christ. Absolutely. They they need to get that wound healed. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, when we talk about whether it be the individual who's on the street because they have a, a, a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction or a person that's gone through difficult times, they got sick, they lost their job, they lost their, their home, they wound up on the streets, or a woman that's escaping from domestic violence, whatever the set of circumstances might be, everybody, everything points back to the notion that these are not problems, these are symptoms of the deeper problem and if the church isn't there on the front line to be bold to address those deeper problems nothing's ever going to change you can throw all the money you want at housing and education and the homeless you can throw millions billions and believe me we've done it and seen virtually no difference because we've taken a secular approach trying to address what is at the core a spiritual problem i say that all the time and that for some reason goes uh, without notice it appears to people in one ear and out the other and, and people hear it and they said oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. but they don't think very much of it and yet the bible says we are a spirit we possess a soul and we live in the body most people think we're a body that it possess a soul and have a spirit, most of the time broken spirit, a messed up spirit. You know what I'm saying? But it's not true. We're spirit beings. We possess a soul and we live in a body. And so every anybody could lose their job overnight, lose their place where they live. They can any I mean, when the markets fell just recently, I mean a lot of people lost in the market big time. Mm-hmm. Lost their homes, lost their money, lost everything. And don't mention Madoff, who made off with all of that money from those people who invested. Billions. But look, Craig, I saw a scripture that I want to share and, and it's in Proverbs nineteenth chapter. And the 17th verse, it's arresting. Listen to this. He says, he that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. Mm. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. What mm. did he just say? Come on he, now. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. So listen, have you ever thought about making the God of the universe, the God of all creation, alone? <laughs> and God being in your debt? Uh-huh. Oh, my God, can you imagine wow. that? Mind blower. I've never seen this in the Bible before, but I came across it, and he says, when I read it, and I didn't finish all of it, let me finish. He said, he that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given to the poor will he pay him again. Glory to God. So every time you lend to the poor, every time you help somebody that's worse off than you, God not only gives you 
back what you gave to them, but he gives you more than what you gave to them. Press down, shake it together, running over. over. Good God Almighty. And it confirms what Scripture talks about. When it talks about laying up treasures in heaven, we're not talking about the kind of treasure that can be stolen or be burned or can melt away. We're talking about exactly. Can't can't happen. Can't happen. We're talking about eternal consequences. And this is what I want you to grasp. We're going to take a time out here. When we come back, I'm going to ask Bishop Bob to share with us a little bit of the history of an amazing project that he has spearheaded in Oakland um, to really make a significant difference in the local community. And 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 that that notion of finding a need and meeting that need in order to be a vessel through which God can use us to love others. You think about that? We're the channel that God has chosen to use to love the world. Hmm. And, you know, I don't want you to think of it even necessarily. Some folks think, well, I'm going to lay up a little treasure in heaven. I I want to get a little bigger mansion, so I'm going to go do a couple of nice things for God today. No. The attitude instead should be, how can I make myself available? How can I, in this earthen vessel, be a channel through which God can love through me? You think about that? And the consequences of the church not cowering under the mattress in the corner but rather the church emboldened by God's word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to make a difference in lives all around us for the glory of the kingdom. What exactly does that look like? We're going to talk about it coming up next. Bishop Bob Jackson with us tonight in studio. Information available on the web about Acts Full Gospel Church of God in Christ in Oakland by going to simply actsfullgospel.org. That's Acts fullgospel.org. A brief time out back with more as Lifeline continues tonight with Bishop Bob Jackson in studio right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're uh, back to the conversation. Bishop Bob Jackson is with us tonight in studio. and We've just been kind of all over the the, the uh, biblical map here tonight as the Holy Spirit leads, talking about a, a multiplicity of critical issues that, quite frankly, ought to concern every single believer within the sound of our voices. Because at the end of the day, we as the church have been charged with the responsibility of going into all the world, sharing the good news of the gospel, of Jesus Christ, doing so not only here in Judea at home, but Sumeria and the uttermost parts of the earth, and then to recognize that as we go and do and serve and love and give and be disciples and make disciples, that God in turn, as we are being faithful and obedient to his word, God will be found to be faithful to us and you know, Bishop Bobby, we're talking during the break here, the notion that you can't outgive God. Number one, he owns it all to begin with. And secondarily, that as God uses us as a vessel through which he can bless others, and we joyfully and, and cheerfully provide ourselves, surrender ourselves to be that earthen vessel used of him and by him, and and to allow our resources to be put to work for the sake of the kingdom, that God, who owns all the resources to begin with anyway, will say, well, God bless you. You have been a faithful servant. I'm going to bless you even more so that you can even be a greater blessing. That good measure shaken together, pressed down and overflowing. 
and that oftentimes the church, I think, sometimes misses the mark that we think, as you said before, that being blessed is what we get and not understanding that it's really, at the end of the day, what we give. That is absolutely correct. And I got I want to, I have a scripture on that. In my, the 19th chapter of Matthew, he says, in the 23rd verse, it says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. And so the question was, well, who then can be saved? But what got me was a little bit earlier, and this is probably where they got that from in that 21st, 20th verse. It says, it was a young man, and I'm sorry, I'm going to pick it up at 16. And behold, he said, and behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may in have eternal life. And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou would enter into life and keep the commandments, he said unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shouldn't do no murder, thou should not commit adultery, thou should not steal, thou should not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, thou should love the Lord thy God, I mean love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from the youth, from my youth. What lack I yet? Jesus said in them, watch this, if thou would be perfect, go and sell all thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Good God Almighty, what did he say? Sell everything? I can't keep even the Mercedes? Got to sell that too? Sell everything. Wow. Get a Toyota, sell everything, and give when he specifically says, and give to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. What did he mean? Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I guarantee you, had he done that, he would have realized that in his giving, it may have seemed like it was all he had. But in his giving, he set in motion blessings that was going to overtake him, pressed down, shaken together and running over because some people are listening to us right now. You need money and you say you're a Christian, but you're stingy. You don't like to give anything. You think the pastor is just trying to rip you off to try to get you to give money. But the truth of the matter, the offering is part of the worship service. We actually worship God with our tithe and with our offerings. And as we give, God loves a cheerful giver because a cheerful giver realizes the more that I give, the more God gives back to me. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into my bosom. I'm telling you, I've never seen a person who's a tithe payer and an offering giver, I've never seen them being broke. I've never seen them being broke. Because God always, he said he'd open the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings that you, don't touch that dial, I'm talking to somebody. Because you're not a tither, you don't give offerings because you think that's for the preacher. That's not for the preacher, that's for you. The blessing is not for the preacher to receive your offering. The blessing is for you to give it. Because all the blessings is wrapped up in being able to give. And the utter irony is that at the end of the day, it's all his anyway. You're never going to take it with you, I guarantee you. You won't see a, a Brinks truck hooked up behind a hearse, I guarantee you. That's right. You're not. We have the trailer with all the expensive furniture. Nope. Doesn't nope. happen. No. Nope. No. Nope. I want to spend a moment, if we can, uh, Bishop Jackson, going going to the heart of, of demonstrating to listeners what this kind of faith in action looks like and the manner in which God 
desires to love others through us and how that we would be known by our love for one another. And, of course, an important way, as we delineated earlier, is the notion of finding or addressing felt needs. And one of the big felt needs, of course, here in the San Francisco Bay Area, we talked earlier about homeless. And then you look at affordable housing. My, 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 my. I I talk to folks from all over the country, and people will say, I saw... A little thing on the internet the other day. Can it be that a one-bedroom apartment is costing four thousand five hundred dollars in sanity? Oh, can can it be? Absolutely, and that's the cheap one. Wow. If you look at what's happening in the San Francisco Bay Area, this has been a tremendous magnet for high tech and for jobs. And we've got the great weather. We have beautiful countryside. I mean, where else anywhere in the country can you say that within a three hour drive, I can be at the beach enjoying the ocean. Three hours later, I could be in the mountains enjoying the snow and three hours later be in the desert enjoying the sand only in California. But with that sense of of the attractiveness of California and the demand for jobs here comes the need for all the basic necessities that include infrastructure. And, of course, at the heart of infrastructure for all of us is housing. Uh, Affordable housing in the San Francisco Bay Area is something that has just eluded us for many years. And sadly, the situation is getting even worse. You hear these stories about, well, the average affordable house in the San Francisco Bay Area is 1.2, 1.3 million dollars. And you've got to know that a lot of folks that work in the service industries or maybe a single parent look at those kinds of numbers and think, and you want me to put down a $200,000 deposit? Write you a check? for That's never going to happen. That is never going to happen in my lifetime or in 10 lifetimes put together. And so it is important that we take seriously the issue of affordable housing. And, and I know that cities and municipalities are trying, but as much as they've tried, you know, if there's 10 stories of them trying, there's 20 stories of them failing. Axel Gospel, though, has done something different. And, and I want you to share a little bit of, of the vision. Um, this has even been highlighted recently in a television report on KPIX Channel 5. Um, you many years ago looked at what was happening in downtown Oakland and the situation related to affordable housing and said, wait a minute here, we've got a problem and we as the church need to be part of the solution. Give us some insight into your thinking and your heartbeat. Yeah, well, the other thing, there were a lot of people in Acts Full Gospel Church and other churches, minorities, especially black people, they were actually leaving the city because it was too expensive to live there. And so a lot of the congregations lost wonderful members, people who had been in Oakland in the Bay Area for generations, now moving out. And some moved all the way back to Atlanta, Georgia. Some moved to Texas and all Louisiana. They went everywhere, just scattered. And the population of the African-American community in the city of Oakland went from something like 60-some percent down to now right around 21 percent in the city of Oakland. That's right. And so uh, San Francisco was about 19% earlier, and now it's around under 2% African Americans in San Francisco. In other words, you can throw a rock in San Francisco and not hit a black person. The point I'm getting at is they put the prices up so high on these properties that uh, they're not affordable. So what happened is when Jerry Brown, I'm I'm just to tell it is, Jerry Brown, when he became the governor, 
He took the redevelopment money, and instead of him using it for the redevelopment agency, he shut the redevelopment agency down, which was responsible for building more housing and low-income housing. That redevelopment fund would offset the, the monies that the contractors would lose if they built affordable housing. It's about penciling. Those units are not penciling for those contractors to make the kind of money that they need to make to build those affordable housing because they don't have anybody, they don't have that redevelopment money to offset what they would have made had it made market rate properties. So it's not popular. I've got land right now. We own Axel Gospel in Oakland, and I want to build more. We built a 59-unit complex, and we built a 55-unit complex, and it cost us an arm and a leg. And we tried to get affordable housing, but we couldn't make it all affordable because it wouldn't pencil. In other words, the contractors and the builders wouldn't be able to make the money that they need in order to build those units. Yeah, yeah just the, 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 the raw, hard reality of the cost of material and cost of labor. Correct. And so the government, and so the state of California ended up with a reserve. That's where that extra money came from when Gavin Newsom took over as governor. That's what they had money in a savings account and in an emergency account and millions of dollars and they were like well, where did all that money come from all of a sudden and they found out it came from the redevelopment agency that was supposed to be the money to help us build affordable housing so re- instead of reinvesting it back into the community it just sat in Sacramento until they fooled around and spent it most of it at least they say the money is gone now and now the the, 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 the state is in financial yeah, trouble and, and nothing to show for it but as usual the problem is the affordable housing. Now, the government will come in to do affordable housing and watch how they do it. They said, okay, we're going to do the affordable housing. We'll help you and we'll subsidize it. At least they were for a minute. But when they do, then they they say who's going to live there. So the people who lived in the neighborhood for generations now that are poor, they have to get out because they can't afford the property. Mm-hmm. They, they can't afford it because it's a lottery. We had built 59 units in one unit, one of our complexes. They had 6,500 people sign up for it. Wow. Then we built across the street another 55 units, 9,400 East 14th International. And then we had 5,000 people sign up for that one, affordable housing, needing affordable housing. it was only 55 units, so we want to build more, but they're not interested. So what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to get the developers to look at something and the city to look at something. Okay? You all can build these beautiful $2 million homes, but build them, build them in the hills and whatever and so forth. But in the flatlands where we are and the properties that we own, give us the money to build affordable housing, subsidize our building so we can put affordable people that can afford a real affordable housing so we can put those low-income people in those units. They have a right to live in their city where they've been for generations. And I think, Bishop Bob, it's important to underscore, you you just used the word low-income. And people need to realize, and if you live in the Bay Area and you've been here for any length of time, you're probably already aware of this. When we talk about low-income, we're not talking about somebody that's making... $1,500 $1,500 a month. Low income can be an individual that's got three kids and earning $75,000 a year, but by the time they're done paying for health insurance, meeting the basic needs of the kids, medical expenses, food, food. insurance, <laughs> and then you get to housing, Jeez. fifty grand, $75,000 is nothing. Easy. You could never hope to afford any 
chance of ever owning your own home, let alone qualifying for an apartment. And I don't think it's unreasonable to expect that people ought to be able to live where they work and work where they live. And when we talk about the folks that are the recipients of affordable housing, who are we talking about? We're talking about the teachers that teach your children. We're talking about the crossing guard that helps them get across the street every day. We're talking about the clerk at the local grocery store where we buy our milk and our bread. We're talking about the cop on the beat that directs the traffic up the street. We're talking about the vast majority of everybody that's necessary to make a healthy society function. And I think the sad thing, Bishop Bob, is we don't recognize how much we really need one another. And we like to go into a neighborhood and we like to say, you know, we're going to sell this house because we can make a ton of money. And if the impact of gentrification happens, well, that's okay. They'll find another place to live. And the sad thing is, and I think we're, we're just waking up to this in the Bay Area, we are pushing people further and further and further out. And I tell you what my fear is. The day is going to come that those of us that were either fortunate enough to have bought or owned a home years and years ago when it was still somewhat affordable are going to wake up one day and say, there, there's no cashier at the local Safeway. I, 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 I went to Home Depot the other day looking for a little piece of lumber to fix something at, at my house, and there's nobody working. We can't find people to work because they can't afford to live where they work and nobody is going to live in Patterson and commute into the San Francisco Bay Area for the privilege of mowing my lawn. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. So a lot of wonderful people, a lot of great people, and a lot of them have generations of, of time they've spent in California, in these areas, can no longer afford to be in those areas. And that's what's happening with the city of Oakland as far as I call it black flight. And just a tremendous exodus. Well, you look what happened in San Francisco. Yeah. All the high-tech companies came in. All those jobs got gobbled up. All right. of a sudden now, homes that were in the Mission District and out on the avenues that were $350,000, $450,000 are now a million two, a million five, a million six. Easy. And people say, well, I've lived here all this time. I, all that kind of money, I can make. I'm selling. I'm out of here. And everybody else that says, well, wait a minute, though. I'd like to live. I'd like to raise my family near where my my parents live so my my sons and daughters know my folks that they know their grandparents and folks can afford to do it so it's an impossibility yeah so they left san francisco and they went to oakland and they said well there's we can afford to buy houses in oakland and then over a series of a number of years all of a sudden what happened in san francisco has now happened in oakland now happening everywhere. We we used to say we could go to Portland and get some great houses in Portland. Now we can't hardly do that anymore no, because right. every time we make those kind of migrations, then the prices of the homes in those areas begin to go up even higher. Like Antioch was a great place to go a while ago because Oakland was yeah. going so Now Antioch, no you can't do that anymore. So that it's the greed. I mean, the greed of people, the greed of mankind is amazing. Do you know during the COVID there was 65 billionaires made? They were made billionaires during the COVID crisis. Yeah, selling face masks. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. Whatever no else. doubt. Yeah. Selling 65, yep. 65 people became billionaires during the COVID crisis. My point is, how are you making billions of dollars during a COVID crisis when everybody was suffering, mm-hmm. wasn't able to work? The COVID was killing people. I mean, so I know we were off track of what we were talking about, but coming back to it, Looking at the ones who have, 
that God has blessed you to have and not being able to look and see your brother, your sister. The Bible says in First John over there, if you see your brother or sister having a need and you have the ability to do something about it and you shut up your bowels of compassion, he said, wow. how dwelleth the love of God in you? Yeah. How dwelleth? For God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't so love the world that he took. He gave. Amen. And he gave his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus. And then he gave his only begotten life to die for a sinful world. My God. And it didn't cost. Listen, salvation is free, but it's not cheap. Okay. Amen. Come on now. The Lord Jesus had to give his life for you and for me and for the sins of this world. And what did he get in exchange? You and I, if we would repent and receive him as our Lord and Savior, but if not, it's almost like he did it for nothing because the people didn't take advantage of what he had and what he had done for this world. And I guarantee you, though, I don't care how poor you may be, God will always take care of the poor. He says, the poor you have with, with you, you always. always. You know that? You know what revelation I got out of that? It means you always have an opportunity to do ministry. For the Lord Jesus. And, and, I, and I think there, too, and this is a good point for us to transition on, and we'll come back with some closing thoughts. That sense that could God, in a blink of an eye, change the situation for every underprivileged individual on the planet? Absolutely. He's got himself. I guarantee Absolutely. you. I guarantee you he can. But as much as... The poor you will have with you always, yes. I think, is not only a, a opportunity, but also God's way of testing us. I think so. To see if Where you, is your heart? Where, where your heart is, is there your treasure lies also. That's what he said. And to see if you really love money. Now, watch this. Money is not the root of all evil. Right. He said it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Some people love money so much they do anything for money. For money. They'll do anything. And money, I believe, is a spirit. Because he talks about mammon. You can't mm -hmm. serve mammon and you can't serve God. Mammon is a spirit. You see that? And some people are just after money. They would burn their mother to get money. The Melinda's brothers killed their parents for the for money, money that they thought they could get. Mm -hmm. Now, the point I'm saying is what people will do or won't do for the money that they, they would love to get. And yet, who has all the silver and who has all the gold? Cattle on a thousand hills. And the hills the cattle are on. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> our God, our God has that. And it's all available to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. But what God wants you to do when you become blessed, he wants you to be a blessing. Amen. It, it is a tool that God puts in our hands to change the world around us for the sake of his kingdom. And that really brings us back full circle. We're going to dive into some closing thoughts in a moment here after a, a final timeout. But it really brings us back full circle to this notion that are we as the church fighting each other? Or are we doing battle with principalities and powers in high places and understanding what true spiritual warfare is? Are we putting on that full armor of God every single day? Do we recognize that we're not battling each other, but we're battling the enemy of our soul who seeks to kill and destroy? And are we willing to surrender all to him 
that we might be vessels through which he may love and proclaim the good news of his son. See, at the end of the day, we might be empowered by the Holy Spirit, but you know whose job it is to share that message? It's yours and it's mine. The question is, how good are you doing at that job? And if you're somebody that says, you know, I, I, I've really had a, a, a tremendous sense of conviction over what I've heard Bishop Bob say tonight, and I'm, I'm really beginning to question, question for myself, do I just simply know of Jesus or do I know Jesus? And if there's a lingering doubt in your mind right now as to the answer to that question, we're going to help you answer it for yourself tonight and for all eternity in just a moment. We'll take a time out back right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're in the closing moments of the program tonight. And as we bring our conversation today full circle, and I, I realize some of you say, y'all have been all over the map tonight. The only thing that you missed was sharing, you know, uh, pizza cooking recipes. We'll maybe get that to another, <laughs> another time, Bishop Bob. I'm but, hungry, too. <laughs> um, but I, I, I want to, to end on a critical note. We talked about this earlier as we've discussed a lot of these societal issues and what's happening in the world around us today and we've wondered why the church who is best equipped to make a difference has so often struggled with these issues and I think you really hit the the nail on the head the notion that there is a spiritual disconnect for so many that perhaps go to church on a regular basis have done so their entire life and yet there's a disconnect in their relationship with Christ. Oh, they know who he is. They've heard of him. They can maybe even quote a few passages of Scripture. For God so loved the world, John three sixteen, so forth. But they don't know Christ personally. And there is the key fundamental disconnect as to why I not only think the church is challenged oftentimes in addressing many of the societal issues that we've talked about tonight, as well as individuals who are still struggling on their job, in their marriage, in their relationship with their kids. Because while they know of Christ, they don't know Christ. For a person, Bishop Jackson, that's in that place tonight, that has really felt the sense of the Holy Spirit saying, you know, I'm... I have to recognize and confess that I know of Jesus, but I don't know Jesus. Not, not, not in the way that you guys have spoken of tonight. And I want to write that wrong. I want to change that. Bishop Jackson, take a couple of moments and walk us through Scripture. For the person listening tonight saying, I want to go beyond just knowing of him. I want to know him. So the Apostle Paul answered that question years ago. And I want to go to Colossians chapter 1 and pick it up at verse 26. He says, Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made, is made manifest to his saints. Verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you the hope of the glory. Hope of glory. And God Almighty, what did he just say? So not just believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, but actually receiving him. 
He says in Romans 10 and 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God the Father has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. But with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession, confession. is made unto salvation. Amen. My Lord. So the good news is all of you that are viewing, listening rather tonight, I'm used to television, but all of you that are listening tonight to us in the studio, you have an opportunity to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You have an opportunity to receive him right now, whether you're upstairs, downstairs, in your bedroom, wherever you are listening to this broadcast. It's not a coincidence. God has purposed you to hear this broadcast tonight, and now it's going to give you an opportunity of a lifetime to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Not that you would just know of him, but you will know him Amen. as your personal Savior and Lord. If that sounds like something you want to do, I need you right now. Once again, just close your eyes. And if you're driving, don't try this. But just keep keep your eye open. But put your hand on the radio. Amen. As you, we, as you listen to us right now. Come on. Can you say, Lord Jesus? Lord Jesus. Come on, just open your mouth right where you are. Can you say, Lord Jesus? That's it, right there. That's it. My God, I just feel the Spirit of God. Now I want you to repeat this little prayer after me. Come on. Lord Jesus, forgive me for all of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and you were buried and on the third day God the Father raised you from the dead and right now Lord Jesus I open the door to my heart and I receive you into my heart as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise God. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, I want you to ask you the million-dollar question. According to that prayer you just prayed, where is the Lord Jesus Christ? In my heart. Praise God. Then First John 4 and 4 says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. That's as easy as it comes. Receiving him. Once you receive him and you begin that spiritual journey, that spiritual relationship, we talked about earlier the notion of not just knowing of him, but knowing him. You say, well, Bishop Bob, Craig, how do I get to know him personally? Well, praying that prayer is the first step. The second step is getting into God's word, because in his word, he reveals who he is, his love, his passion, his character, his desire for you. He has, he has get this, plans for your life that you haven't even dreamt of. And then third, he wants to be in communion with you. How does that communion take place? Communication. Praying. You pray God answers, not always audibly, but he answers through his word. And then finally, getting involved 
in a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church where you can learn what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and then go and make disciples. You say, well, Craig, I I don't know where to start. I mean, I've prayed that prayer with Bishop Bob, and I'm going to start reading my Bible. Where do I go to find a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church that preaches the unadulterated Word of God? Well, the good news is that if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, Axeful Gospel Church of God in Oakland invites you to come and worship Him. And you can get more information online by going to axfullgospel.org. That's axfullgospel.org. And everyone listening to us right now, I just felt the Holy Spirit drop something in my spirit, Craig. And with your permission, the Holy Spirit dropped in my in my spirit. Every one of you that's listening right now that would like to have a Bible, a King James Bible, red, red lettered, leather cover. Listen, beautiful Bible. I will send it to you absolutely free. If you get in touch with me at Axe Gospel Church, I promise you to send you a Bible so you will have the Word of God. It's no the greatest excuses. gift. I love it. I I'll love it. Give it to you for free. You'll find information <laughs> on the web. How yes, to reach out to Bishop Bob, send him a note, call the church, go online, axfullgospel.org. That's axfullgospel.org. Bishop Jackson. God bless you, brother. God bless you, It's brother. always a privilege to spend some time not only in fellowship with you, but in God's Word. Yes. And if you love the, the caliber and quality of the teaching and preaching of Bishop Jackson, we invite you to check out Acts Full Gospel Church of God in Christ in Oakland online at actsfullgospel.org. That's going to do it for this Tuesday edition of Lifeline. We'll put the wraps on the program, but that's all right. Back with you tomorrow night at 5 o'clock. Till then, we remind you, don't just keep the faith. Get on out there and share it. Till next time. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.